Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. I'm Devika Girish, the co-deputy editor of Film Comment. Last weekend, I was at the True Falls Film Festival, which is an annual documentary festival in Columbia, Missouri. Over the years, True Falls has become an exciting site to discover the latest developments in non-fiction cinema. This year, a prominent trend in the lineup was that of personal filmmaking, of filmmakers drawing on their memories, their families, their friendships to craft something that felt universal or even political. Two films in particular exemplified this trend, though in completely different ways. Forms of Forgetting by the Turkish filmmaker Burak Cevik starts with conversations between two of the filmmaker's friends on their memories of their relationship before spanning out into a broader reflection on the link between personal memory and one sense of place, of city, of the nation. In Milisutando, the artist Milisutando Bongela combines archival footage, personal recollections, and interviews with friends and family to reflect on her childhood in the Transkei, which was an all-black, segregationist South African state sanctioned by the apartheid regime and which dissolved finally when Nelson Mandela came to power. For today's podcast, I invited Burak, Milisutando, and Jonathan Ali, who is a programmer for True Falls, to delve into the making of these films and the ethics, aesthetics, and politics of personal filmmaking. We hope you enjoy the conversation. As you can probably tell, my voice is very much gone, but I will soldier through this podcast because I have an amazing trio of guests with me, and I will ask them to introduce themselves. Uh, I'm going to start with Jonathan uh, Ali, who was just on the podcast recently. Hello, my name is Jonathan. I am a programmer here at True Faults, but uh, I am also a programmer for a number of other festivals, and I am director of programming for Third Horizon Film Festival in Miami. Hello, I'm Burak Chevik. I'm the filmmaker of um, Forms of Forgetting, and it's nice to be here. My name is Milisutando Bongela, and I'm the writer and director of the feature documentary Milisutando. Well, it's great to have all three of you here. And the reason I wanted to bring the three of you, and especially Burak and Milisutando, you both together, is because I think there is a trend in uh, this year's True Falls Film Festival, but also I think documentaries across the board, you know, across uh, contemporary festivals, where there's a lot of personal stories being told. Um, and I don't mean diary films, you know, of course, personal stories have been there in cinema for a long time. Diary films have been, you know, some of the earliest forms of cinema. But I feel like there's something different where filmmakers like yourselves are finding that there is something within the realm of the personal that feels political or that feels artistic in a way um, that requires interrogating. And your films both do that in very different ways. So they're like very different, I think, manifestations of that trend of um, of really translating something that's personal into something that feels of broader significance to the world. And before we dig into that, I thought maybe, Jonathan, you could introduce their films a little bit. I don't want to make them do it. Thank you. Um, as, and as the person who has had a hand in uh, choosing them, maybe you could tell us a little bit about them and also like when you saw them, you know, what, what struck you about them? Well, as you say, you know, um, 
one of the things that we did notice um, in programming the CS Festival was that there was perhaps more than usual. This is my first year, I have to say, programming uh, for True False, but in the last few years, as a as a programmer, um, I have noticed this 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 upswing in the personal, in the way that you you just described in terms of filmmakers using the personal to interrogate certain things and make not necessarily political statements, but in a, in a political way. Uh, and, um, you know, this, this overlapping of the personal and the political, uh, is something that, uh, you know, is, 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 uh, noteworthy and, um, both Barack's and 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 uh, Millie's films uh, sort of fit into that category, but both very different films. And you know, there's a range of work that's being made within this realm of the personal, both in terms of uh, subject matter, but also formal approaches, uh, aesthetics. Um, but one thing I can say that you know connects most of these films that deal with the personal is this: uh, looking at uh, the past and memory, and um, uh, the archival in different forms in 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 different ways, um, and how that plays into the present, uh, and uh, yeah, I think both films, um, you know, in different but very interesting ways, you know, um, contend with with all of these these issues. And would you be able to just introduce each film uh, briefly, just for listeners who might not have seen it? Uh, well, what, what can I say about their films, really? Um, uh, because they're, 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 and this is one, I think, of the features of this kind of cinema is that, you know, they're slippery constructs, very hard to just sum up um, in a few words. So maybe what I'll do is, so that I don't kind of, you know, um, trip Clever. myself up, <laughs> <laughs> is that maybe I'll read a little bit from uh, the official synopses of um, of the films. Um, filmmaker Melisutando Bongela grew up in Transkai, an 18-year-long pro-apartheid black separatist territory that dissolved with Nelson Mandela's liberation and presidency. In her self-titled debut, Melisutando, she works across political, personal, and spiritual dimensions to explore ancestry, power, and the construction of race and racism in the context of the South African apartheid regime, which Bongela was uh, unaware she was growing up inside of until it was over. Amazing. And let's do forms of forgetting. Greenhouses rust. Lakes look like deserts. A shipyard stands where a prison once operated. Historic cities disappear, modern art museums rise. A couple, long ago broken up, forget and remember the details of their relationship through heartbreaking voiceover. In Forms of Forgetting, directed by Burak Chavik, the protagonists meditate on the ways in which forgetting shapes, misshapes, and decays memories. They discuss the intricacies of their relationship and break up, they watch footage of themselves from years before. The wisdom in their present voices is palpable in comparison to their youthful discourse. So, so, so those aren't the full synopses. They're 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 a bit longer. Yeah. Um, but they give you a flavor of you know the fact that these aren't just straightforward narrative kind of documentaries that beginning, middle, end. Yeah. They tell a story that kind of you know takes you on a a, a chronological journey. Right. Um, and I forget, I always forget which filmmaker it was who said, 
and I think it's a, a fiction filmmaker actually who said that if I could tell you what my film's about, I wouldn't need to make it. And <laughs> I think one of the features of this kind of documentary filmmaking is that as much for the filmmakers as anyone else who might encounter the film, the making of the film, the process is, you know... Uh, is, is the film. Is in, the film. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, was it Lynch? Yeah, right. So... That would make sense. Yes, it would. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I so I thought maybe, Millie, we could start with you. Um, and your film is really, like you said, I mean, it, it, it is very complex. It kind of really contains multitudes because... You're examining um, your childhood in the trans sky and how it really shaped your experience of race and experience of, you know, being a South African and how that changed when the trans sky dissolved and you were in a sort of mixed South Africa and you had to confront whiteness for the first time. And so even though you were in an environment that was sanctioned by apartheid and therefore politically, you know, bad, you grew up in what felt utopian at the time because, you know, it was this all black environment where um, you didn't even, you weren't maybe even fully aware of racism, you know, lived or racism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of personal stuff that kind of very seamlessly merges into archival, you know, political footage and larger narratives. And maybe you could start by telling us, you know, at what point did you feel like, okay, your story, these like very inward personal experiences could make a movie? Yeah. Well, I would have to say that um, it was probably at Nelson Mandela's funeral um, or the days after he passed away in 2013. I remember going to visit his house. There were vigils everywhere, day and night vigils um, around the country. And my friends and I went to uh, his house to put flowers down with the rest of the mourners and continuing with the South African uh, tradition of singing. Um, uh, whether we are protesting or, or happy or uh, mourning. Um, I remember being there and joining a crowd and singing a song called um, My mother was a kitchen girl, my father was a garden boy, that's why I'm a communist, I'm a communist, I'm a communist. And this oh, song was an anti-apartheid. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> This is an anti-apartheid struggle um, song that was sang in, in protest around the country um, against the government. And these songs find take take place in, in, in all kinds of political moments. And I remember being there and singing the song and, and, and thinking, wait a minute, something is a little bit not right about this for me. Because I started to, to, I feel like uh, my mother wasn't a kitchen girl. I mean, it's not that not that the songs are to be taken literally, but this was the moment for me where I realized that um, my parents had, uh, my dad had an office job, my mother was a teacher and a, and a music conductor, and I grew up in this middle class setting, and I couldn't identify with my Sowetan friends um, and my friends from South African townships. I could I could identify with them the post-apartheid experience of blackness, but I was like, I come from another place. And when I began to interrogate that, I, I realized that the history of the homelands and the Bantustans in South Africa, we, we kind of speak about it at a surface level, and we hardly ever hear from the experiences of people who've grown up inside these apartheid constructions, um, which were created to fulfill the whole notion and the philosophy of apartheid that all races should be separated. And 
I started to feel um, the contradictions of having good memories about a so-called bad place mm. um, and the, how these complexities live in me and how they live inside my family members. So I went home and I interviewed my grandmother, my mother, my uncle, and I found that even their own experiences had contradictions. Um, and I felt that I was, I was afraid to, to broach the subject because most South Africans don't recognize the homelands as as real countries. Mm. Um, and in fact, they're you know very much looked down upon and dismissed. And I knew that I'm complicating the narrative of blackness and the experience of, of, of apartheid in a way that might make some people, um, I don't know, feel... It might it complicates the narrative, mm -hmm. and all I'm all the thing that I'm I was interested in exploring was that we were all oppressed in different ways, mm -hmm. and I think it's time to nuance our experiences so we understand how we got here. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm a writer, and the and the film itself said I don't want to be a book. I am I am I'm cinematic, and the journey of discovering the archive, which kind of it defies what we know about apartheid. Mm -hmm. Um, because you have 1976, a, a mixed choir singing in Kosa about this land, saying they're very happy that they have this country. Um, and these were things visually that I was like, this contradicts everything I know about apartheid, and the world needs to know about this. Um, and when I was pitching the film, people were like, we've never heard of the trans guy. We've never heard of these places. I hadn't either before watching the film, and I felt quite embarrassed about this gap in my education. I hadn't heard about the trans guy, and I'm from there. <laughs> And I, we weren't taught about it in school. And right. this was the trip. It was like, wait a minute. We learned the history, but why didn't we learn sufficiently? We, we, we know people go on holiday to the trans guy all the time. Mm. But, we, but politically, no one talks about the flags. No one talks about the borders. No one talks about the paraphernalia and like the state paraphernalia that was created to legitimize it. No one talks about the fact that it was not recognized by the rest of the world except Israel. Israel and South Africa were the only countries that, quote-unquote, recognized and, and it was valid to those countries. And so there's a whole bunch of... And the leader of it was Nelson Mandela's first cousin. Mm -hmm. And so while Mandela was sitting in jail for his beliefs, his nephew was having custard with the people who had jailed Mandela. And so there's all these complexities and contradictions. And um, I knew that this is important, you know? Mm -hmm. And I had to validate my own experience. And when people, when I talk about it to South Africans, they're like, oh my God, yes, I've known at the surface level what, about what, what the homelands were, but I didn't really understand. And when you're dealing with such complex subjects, so many contradictions, the conventional documentary form, it, 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 it's not enough. You yeah. know, you have to find new ways yeah. of exploring untold histories yeah. and and also these realities. internal contradictions exactly exactly yeah. you're trying to find a cinematic form that can mirror these sort of it as you say you know these these internal contradictions these paradoxes uh and so yes so you know there continues to be um this push um to find uh these yeah. kinds of essayistic hybrid imaginative non-fiction ways of wrestling with contending with all of this yeah i think it's also about validating emotion as political right mm -hmm. emotions memories as political i think with traditional documentary it relies too much on the intellect as a way of entering history and understanding history when actually i feel like policies laws violence is the outcome and the byproduct of 
emo- of, of a feeling, right? It starts out as a feeling before it ends up as a gun pointed at you. It starts off as a belief and a faith. And those things are abstract and universal. And I think that to op- we, we need to explore and open the door of inquiry about colonization, history, all of these things. Um, we need to validate the feminine gaze, the feminine lens of right. it um, in order to understand. If, if our intention is to understand, it can't just be about we need to take down this law. This needs the to details, change. The details, the facts, exactly. Yeah. And, the, and 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 these structures don't build themselves; people build them. Right. And and what does it mean to engage with people? And so the form has to follow the function. In this case, I think beautifully said, <laughs> Barack. I think in your case, um, I feel like it's almost it's trickier even to describe your film because. It is like a collection of impressions, a collection of memories. It's friends, you know, talking about their um, relationship, but also, you know, their their experiences of a city. And I'm curious, you know, how, first of all, like, at what point you realized that there was a film somewhere in, say, your friend's conversations um, or in your home. I mean, I know that your home and its uh, renovation features in the film which you told me yesterday. And then also then how do you draw bounded lines? Like where does the story start but also where does it end? Because presumably there's so much stuff from your life you could include in a film like this, right? So how do you like figure out the contours of, of the film? Well, it took me two years to understand what I have in my in my mind and in my hands. So I... I was keep shooting things. I was traveling around to Turkey and thinking about the memory and forgetting, uh, remembering. So how I can present it uh, in a cinematic way. But also I was more into about how to create a like organic and also very fiction memory uh, altogether. And also I, I really, maybe I, I should mention that I really uh, inspired by Hollis Frampton, uh, Nostalgia. So... Uh, I met with Nesrin and Erdem. Uh, I know I knew them before. They are like actors and they are friends, but we didn't. We we were not that close back then. So I was <laughs> shooting around their countryside house. So I called them one day and we met, and I stayed in their place uh, for a while, and we start talk about their relationship, and then also I talk about my past relationship with them, and then we start to play kind of a game. We start to shoot something. And it is, it is also as I mentioned. It was um, we tried to create something fiction, but based on their uh, real memories, and also my memories. And then after a while, um, we start to meet every once in a week, and we also think about the dialogue in the film, and we start to do rehearsals. And it took like one year, one and a half year to uh, finish that dialogue and we decided to shoot again and so we went there and we shoot again uh, but then at the end I look at the footage and I, I realize that it is too fiction so we just go back to first uh, like shooting day and I, I just use it in the film so it, it was too raw and too re- real and too uh, about themselves I think but so that this is the structure of the film. I we have a couple, and they are like talking about their past and how they don't they don't uh, remember how they uh, break up and also how they met actually. So they don't have their they they their 
common uh, memory, but just they have only their perspective of seeing things. And I was very interested about this. And also I was very interested about how story is written. So each time when you tell a story, even if it's a personal one, you say you you say it's it's another layer of the story itself. And you, you never reach that core. So the whole structure and the uh, way of telling this uh, story is based on this idea. And, you know, I we've been saying how the personal is political and one way in which it is that maybe we don't talk about enough is that it's cheaper and easier to make personal films. And a lot of documentary filmmakers or, you know, tend towards that for structural reasons, too. And Barack, you and I were talking yesterday and you were talking about wanting to make films like Hong Sang Soo with what you have very quickly, cheaply, so you can actually have that control over what is a very capital intensive medium. And I'd love to hear a little more about that. Jonathan, I was going to say, is your next film going to be shot out of focus? Is that, <laughs> is that the idea? Well, it's, it, it is a good idea. I have seen it in Berlinale. It's, it's a good idea. But no, I, I think some projects need uh, like lots of people mm -hmm. and money. And some projects are not. And I, I also realized that after three films, I realized that I, I want to tell stories. Before that, I didn't like. I don't. I don't. I don't want to tell stories. I just more into about how to tell a story. But now, after a while, I have things to tell. But I. I don't want to wait. So when you wait, it is. It became something else. It became Excel file, agreement, and project. No, like it's. It's enough for me for a while. And then, I. I think, I can shoot things that, that. I'm not going to maybe screen even. Mm. I can send my uh, friends. So it's it can be. I, I I don't need to be a perfectionist. Like I can do things, small things, and I can express myself and I can go on. Mm. But you know this 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 turn we're talking about um, in documentary to the personal and the political intersecting. It's not new, and I think we should acknowledge that there is a history. There is a past of filmmakers working in this way. Uh, and I'm thinking particularly of the 1980s when there were these film, film and video movements. I'm thinking particularly of North America and Canada where you had filmmakers like, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the black film and video movements in the UK and you had uh, um, Black Audio Film Collective and you had uh, um, Sankofa and uh, uh, Isaac Julian and so on working um, Isaac, perhaps more than Black Audio Film Collective, putting very personal uh, 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 things into the films they were making. But the idea of complicating historical narratives, you know, and uh, I think a touchstone film in this regard is Black Audio Film Collective's Hands With Songs, which uh, on the surface seems to be about contemporary events, a riot that took place in Birmingham, race riots in Birmingham, uh, but the film says, very controversially for the time, um, the film explicitly says, there are no stories in the riots, only ghosts of other stories. And the film is pointing to history and to the past and to, you know, colonial um, uh, misdeeds and how that feeds into the present and that we cannot just read the present cut off from what has come before. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, in North America, you had different kinds of political films being made by people like Marlon Riggs, for example, mm -hmm. queer films in Canada. You had Richard Fung uh, of Trinidadian Chinese descent making similar films where they were putting 
you know, the personal into these political narratives to do with gay liberation, AIDS, and so on. You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. And so many feminist um, films, of course, did the same. Yes, um, exactly. They centered their, their selves. And that kind of brings me also, Millie, what you were saying. Um, but, you know, I think what is interesting about both your films is, of course, it's about you and it, it's personal, but the personal actually means the people around you too. Mm-hmm. So there is this um, telling your own story means, for instance, interviewing, I believe, is it your grandmother in the film? Or there is a, yeah. an elderly lady and sort of confronting her own, you know, racism or her own kind of um, strain of bigotry. And, um, you know, very striking parts of your film where you're talking to your white friends about interactions between yourselves that have these underpinnings of, you know, racial and political structures. Um, I'd love to hear a little about that. Like, first of all, when you're shooting and, you know, what are the discussions that go into shooting and including these scenes? Mm -hmm. How do you sort of gauge whether you're going too far? You know, what are the questions you wrestled with? But also what are the conversations you had with these people in your lives um, when you were making the film and including them? So with my grandmother, I have always just found her utterly fascinating. And I have a lot more footage of her just being just banal things you know daily just following her around I found her the way she moves quite fascinating and almost every time I used to go visit her somehow the trans guy would come up and she would always talk about how the trans guy um, when it ended she lost her pensions and this is why she has resentment towards the new South Africa because she, when the trans guys started in 1976, uh, they, as women, were able to uh, be married and to continue working unlike it was before. And so she has these years' worth of pensions that disappeared when that country disappeared in 1994. So her reference point is always the pension, and which is, again, it's like, it, it's mundane, but she's talking about how she's going to wear her dress to go collect her pension. And... Each and every time I visited my grandmother, every encounter with her, somehow this pension thing would be mentioned. And so for a long time, I didn't. there was no significance to it. It was just, oh, this is just a Makulu saying her things. And then when she picks up the box of matches to ask if my cousin smokes and does my cousin have a girlfriend, um, and then I that was... <laughs> uh, that footage, I'd already been filming her anyway, and so it was just like verite gold that... She to pick up that box. She asks about the girlfriend. I'm like, oh, she's she's not a, a black person, and she found a way to again bring up the trans guy and its failures as a state. And I'm interested in how memory, history, colonialism is embodied in people's bodies. So this is how it lives for her. My aunt's singing that song. I had no idea that my aunt's and my mother. The second I I said the sec- the first line to my mom, she also started singing it, and I was like. I'm interested in excavating history through the the embodiment, through physical bodies and how these things live 
inside these people that I love, that I've known all of my life, and how also it's also mundane and banal, um, and how evil can, you know, as Hannah Arendt says, how the banality of evil, it's, it's in the everyday, and it's in these relationships with people we know, love, and again, it's a powerful access point because it's the last thing you expect, right? Um, when you grow up in a country where the narrative is you're the victims, you're the victims, you're the victims. Yes, in many ways we are victims, but um, the power of propaganda in facilitating faith and belief and, and uh, you know, the ways in which we relate to each other can't be underestimated. Um, and of course, with, with my friends um, in South Africa, because apartheid ended, you know, the 28 years ago, officially, um, uh, which is, it's in our lifetime, you know, it's in our lifetime that, that the, the things were so different. There is a thickness and an, and a miasma that exists between us mm. as, as, as people in that country, especially people across race. There, there are these underpinnings that exist all day long. And I think we focus so much on, on politics with a capital P on like the big stuff that we don't quite successfully connect how the, the, it's the little things actually that create the, 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 the bigger conditions. Um, and it's the, I was interested in the intimacy that exists now that, you know, people died for us to have this intimacy. Um, and what does that mean? What does it mean that we, you know, we could now sit next to each other at school and, what what's that space between us in the in the school desk on the play, on the playground, um, and I found it quite a fecund space to, uh, heart to mine, um, for where and how racialization uh, happens, and at which point does that happen for a black child, a white child, a mixed child, a person of South Asian descent, an Asian person in in that country, um, and yeah, there's different vantage points for each person, and the relationship and the and the conversation with my friend Marion. Yo, that was really, really hard. And yeah, for context, Marianne is also the film's producer. Yeah, so she's my producer yeah. and my friend. And it was a big conversation to include her in the film. Personally, she was like, I'm, I'm, I'm fine behind the camera. I'm not trying to be in front of the camera. But in our pitching, we very quickly realized that what does it mean? What dynamic are we playing out here? The white producer and the black director, mm -hmm. which in South Africa, that's always the case. You always get a white female producer behind a black director. And there's hardly any kind of representation of how that dynamic plays. It's what are the power dynamics of that? Um, and what are the power dynamics of that in changing discourse in, in like a post-Black Lives Matter, post-Fees Must Fall universe where these things, there is a lexicon for these things. And we knew pitching that we don't want to, to we can't run away from it. You know, when we, we're standing on stages talking about race, we were like, we can't run away from this, so we have to lean into it. And we both knew how dangerous it was to put ourselves out there because we're not poster kids for anything. Um, this is a representation of our relationship and how we're dealing with this thing. It, we're not trying to be prescriptive to say people should now, you know, have bathroom conversations with their white friends. Um, but it's something we couldn't avoid. As we were looking at the structural, the historical, the archive, we knew that there, there has to be something that is interrogated in behind the scenes mm -hmm. and the level of vulnerability it took from both of us I'll speak for myself was that I didn't want to appear as if I'm the all-knowing black person with the experience and I'm invulnerable and I'm strong and I know this stuff part of it, my shame was not knowing about how deep race cuts <laughs> as mm -hmm. I couldn't I didn't understand my own blackness it took me a long time and 
in South Africa and I think all over the world, I I I didn't want I was afraid to admit that yes, I was scared of white people. I am scared of white people. I am scared of upsetting. Um, and I, my fear was, oh, if I if I go too deep and talk too deeply w- with her as my white producer, she I might uh, offend her and then she might run away and then I might not have a producer and then the project might not happen. And so I had to in- interrogate that trepidation and it, it lives very much in that scene. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why do I have this? Where does it come from? How do I overcome it? And I don't think we have a resolution. And she also has a white person had to step out of the intellect box ticking I've read all the books I know all the stuff and actually enter emotionally and that's why there's so much tension in the scene between us and I'd also never seen a representation of interracial friendships like that yeah. and it's it's again process as Jonathan said it's part of the process it's not there's no resolution I wasn't like it's not complete the work is still right. a very much happening and <coughs> yeah it was 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 a painful, it was very painful, but I knew that I'm not the only one that's going through this. We're not the only people that are going through this. And I've had many people come up to me having watched the film and said, yes, I know this experience. I had this experience with my friend and I'm no longer friends with them. Um, but, but how is your relation right now with her? We've just finished uh, Sundance. Um, this is the second. We finished the film, like we handed in the DCP three days late. things were very, very hectic in terms of finishing the film. And I still need to have a moment of debriefing with her. I haven't really seen her afterwards um, properly to be like, what was that experience of putting the film out there like? We worked on it for such a long time. um, And of course, using our friendship as the foundation of, there's something to, we want to preserve the friendship. um, And so how do we... um, Do both. How How do we do the political work while also trying to do the personal work? And... I we've we were saying actually that we would we probably need therapy after mm-hmm. this. We need post film therapy to uh, to to hold each person because now that there's the public involved and other people engaging the work, um, we are concerned about how what some people think and say and feel is going to affect us. Mm-hmm. And so we do need support actually. And um, right now we're actually taking some space from each other because the last six months have been insane. We t- our whole team is kind of taking space from each other and we're just coming down the mountain. And um, yeah, it's, yes. it's, it's not easy. Thank you for sharing that because I think there is also when you when you see films like these and, you know, there is this idea that um, people can do anything for the sake of the film and then come away, you know, just stronger and untouched. And actually, you know, it's like it's part of your life, right? The process of making the film is is your life. It's not something separate. I, I want to ask about the scene with the grandmother, too. I mean, you know, I in these scenes, in these kinds of moments, you have the obligation as a filmmaker to kind of tell a kind of truth. You also have the obligation as a family member, as a granddaughter to maybe like protect your, you know, you have that impulse to protect your grandmother, maybe. You know, how do you kind of reconcile that? And also, what did, what did you tell your grandmother? I mean, does she know she's part of this film? What did you tell her as a pretext was for filming her? You know, does she know how she's framed? Like, what what does that conversation work like? Well, I think the first question to ask is, does she find her views problematic? Mm. And um, she was 96 when she died last year. 90, oh, wow. yeah, she was 96. And she lived through colonial South Africa, 
um, apartheid South Africa, Transkei, and democracy. And I don't, it's so difficult to, to even speak about this in English because it's almost like, yeah, I, I when I was filming her, I, I mean, I, I was always filming her um, and I told her I'm making a movie and I would show her some of the scenes. Um, but I didn't know what it was going to be because that footage is from 2018. I had no idea what it would eventually be. Um, and uh, my uncle, who's also interviewed in the film, lives in the same he lives next door to my grandmother and he knows more about exactly what this is about because he he was a political he was a he was part of the PAC he was like an army commander a highly respected person in in um the PAC could you spell out PAC for listeners or oh, the pan african congress the mm -hmm. pan africanist congress this was the there were so there were two big political parties that were fighting against apartheid in south africa the anc was one i mean there was many but the two main ones are the anc and the pac and the pac's politics was not the same as the anc's politics mm -hmm. um and i d i never spelled out exactly that i'm doing this and makulu this is how you're going to be framed because I don't know. I don't think it was necessarily relevant to her. I think the story of the trans guy was her truth, and this is what she believed. Um, the person that I engaged a lot more was was my aunt, was my my grandmother's daughter, who um, I've sent the film to and said, "Check this out." And are you okay with the way that Makulu is represented? I've shown it to some of my family members, but it it's not. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't think I could explain it to her in the same way that I could explain it to you. There's also like the language barrier where I, I'm like, what is the word for colonization in Kosa? What is the word for? Um, I don't know. It's 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 far more complex. I showed her the scenes of herself. Obviously, she's under release form, but she didn't live to see the full film. Um, and of course, I'm very happy to go back into the edit suite if my family members, you know, protest and say, "Oh no, we don't like this." The way I've never been asked this question, so this is a new. This is a. I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, no, but I think it's tricky, and it's something like it's even tricky. writers who draw from their lives deal with is like what constitutes your life, and that usually means other people too, right? And so, yeah, I, I think, and also like I, I was. I don't think I was judgmental of my grandmother. In the way I'm asking her, I'm not like, but why do you believe this? I'm just, I'm just like, oh, tell me why. And I watch her contradict herself um, in that scene, but not in a way that's trying to out her or shame her or prove any kind of point. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty tricky. Mm. Um, and I think it's a representation of how I see her. <laughs> so. Yeah, there's that one scene, but it's not the entire, you know, that there's, she comes back at the end of the film. Um, and again, we're kind of doing things that grandmothers and granddaughters do, which mm -hmm. is preparing food together. And yeah, I, I, I'm no. not sure. I don't know if it I'm makes sense the and question, there, there isn't like, an answer. I mean, I think it's a very ongoing, personal, um, you know, process. And it, it's not just about filmmaking. I mean, I think we all have these conversations with yeah. family members and then how we translate you know Barack and I had a conversation yesterday about pol politics of family and um and maybe I'll take it over to you now Barack you also feature friends in your film having conversations and then sometimes like commenting on that their own footage in voiceover and um you also recently made a film with uh, Sofia Buranovic and Blake Williams called A Woman Escapes which is also very personal video diaries and 
Could you speak about, you know, the process of, I mean, you you said a little bit about how you got these two friends to be in the film, but the process of like showing them the footage and kind of making space for their feelings on how they want to be represented versus your feelings on what the film should be like. Maybe I can I can talk about the practice of um, making personal films because I don't know any other way to do films because if there's a story that I want to tell, it is it should be my story or the things that I'm thinking about it. And this is also, um, I think, differences between as a like professional industry filmmaker and doing more artistic filmmaking because it is all about how you live this life and uh, if it is how to what to tell the story you know the if it is the if you wake up uh, and if you think about yourself and if you want to share it with someone else with the structure and uh, with the medium of cinema then it you became uh, something else you became kind of an artist filmmaking but uh, if you have the script uh, written by someone else and if you have like lots of other producers etc you became a professional filmmaker but i, I think i ne- i never uh, i'm not a f- professional filmmaker i'm i'm making films to because i have i don't have any options to tell myself and this is the only way that i know and i invested for a long time and so relation between my actors is also uh, it's not about for filmmaking because at for a long time we didn't think that it will be a film. Mm-hmm. We were playing and we were thinking about ourselves, and then uh, it became a film. And then also, um, I I was very open to them, and they they were like I'm I was very lucky because they were very open to me. And we think about when you think about yourself, then you be you you became very honest. And then you, you, then you have some things to share with other also audience, other people. Um, so I don't know what to tell more, but it is all about how to live this your your life, and um, how you put your practice in this life. Did uh, were your friends part of the edit process at all? Did they view no, or give feedback? No, but yeah, not edit process. But I I send every um, version of this film when I was editing okay. and I got their feedbacks and actually they had like very good feedbacks uh, because for other films I only ha- I, I always have like test audience and I, I, I always do like special screenings uh, for industry people like mm-hmm. uh, friends who, who do uh, editing and DOP etc and I always get feedbacks but these feedbacks were like too professional and but and I never uh, mostly accept them. Uh, but this time, each version they watch and they gave me some feedbacks, and I I surprisingly saw that yeah they are right and it is working. When I accept their feedbacks, then film is better mm-hmm. with them. So yeah. and uh, they've seen the final film and how do they feel about it? Mm, well, we didn't talk about. Talk, talk about it but we were we are always talking about the whole experience mm. and so the end product is just an end product but the experience is the what we have mm. and it is much more important for i think for all of us and so we screened in Berlinale and they were very happy um, and it's i don't know only Nesrin uh, she was a bit angry to me because it is her first film 
and she was she she was a bit not angry but she was teasing me because uh she, she wanted to screen it in Istanbul Turkey mm-hmm. and I, uh, there's a rule in the film that we will screen only once in Turkey and then 14 years we will not screen again <laughs> why <laughs> well, I, I will tell why but uh so she was like come on 14 years like i will be very old come <laughs> on <laughs> so that's the that's the only thing but they were writing happy the 14 years years is thing so about 14 years um there's a museum construction in turkey like huge one renza piano is the uh, artist and uh, not arts architectures and i decided to shoot something there in the construction uh, and I realized that I don't want to share this film uh, too much with the people. So it is because it was very personal and I felt, I don't know, I ashamed a bit. And also I ashamed the uh, the personal uh, journey I had. Like it's it was so personal for me and I want to hide it kind of. Yeah. And then I, I find the solution. I said, okay, I will screen here first time. And 14 years later, I was screen again. So it it became a forms of forgetting. People will watch and forget. Well done, get it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Both of you have just sort of touched on a couple of what I think are the the sort of key features of this kind of filmmaking, which are contingency and modesty, in the sense that um, you know it's an open, fluid process, and when you know you don't have as in fiction, you have a script, right? And you're filming a script that is written, um, you know, or in conventional documentary, you have a subject and you're telling the story of a subject. But when you're coming from a personal place and there's an openness to the filmmaking, anything can happen. And I don't know how it is for both of you, but, you know, from what you've been saying, I I, I get the idea that um, you're open to, you know, things happening and there's a also playfulness in there where you will incorporate errors you will incorporate you know happenstance Mm. and the film can uh uh, then morph into something else and might end up not being what you might have thought it would be to begin with and modesty also plays into that in the sense that you're not trying to tell a definitive or the definitive story about something yours is not the definitive story of apartheid South Africa because it's coming from a personal place so it could never be definitive I mean I think you saying that if my family member said something I would go into the edit suite that to me feels very major I don't think many filmmakers you know have that attitude towards their films because the films can feel um, like these very precious expressions of you know personal consciousness and that that kind of Humility towards the people who are in your film is is quite, I think, remarkable. Well, I think like all art, like it approximates life, right? This this is the the, the closest approximation of 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 a lived life that that I could do and and give and make, and um, in many ways, I mean, someone said this is like such a beautiful homage to your family, um, and the process of making the film was also very much done with my ancestors. I was very much... Which is very evident in the in film. ...in consultation yeah. with them. And I know that when we um, exported and had picture lock, I knew that this is a film that is okay and they're okay with and they're happy with. This is the film um, that we've been working on together. And if it wasn't okay, 
we wouldn't they would they would be uh, obstacles and in, impediments that I would know if it's not okay intuitively somehow and and the other thing about trying to make a film as somebody who is new to the space like me personally I'm new to filmmaking but also um race-wise, gender-wise, um, the politics of engaging this technology and being allowed to engage this this very powerful technology as a black person and also coming from a time when we were it was withheld from us and we weren't allowed to use it. Um, having to translate between mainstream, English-speaking, urban uh, life and rural, Kosa-speaking <laughs> Uh, indigenous life, the the space between also allows for and and traversing that space, being being uh, somebody who's going back and forth and commuting from one to the other, as many people of color um, uh, and and queer people do, um, having like what is it? What is uh, W. E. B. Du Bois called the double, double consciousness, consciousness. Exa- the double consciousness and triple consciousness of of existence. I'm I'm interested in exploring that that uh, liminal space between these two, and where how do we reshape the rules of 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 thinking about art and thinking about cinema using the reality of well I'm not from I, like I can't like I can have this conversation about consent with Marion and and um, does she like the scene and we can because we're both speaking English mm. we both understand cinema. Um, but I can't have the exact conversation with my mom and uh, because the language for it doesn't necessarily exist and the rules of our relationality are totally different. My family trusted me. My family supported me. My family knew I would never put them in a position where uh, I'm going to expose anyone. And I come from a tradition of my father was a writer and very much borrowed from conversations uh, that he had with, with our family members and people around him. And so uh, the... How I'm how I'm so excited about the the changes that are happening right now in documentary filmmaking around the world as a result of the doors opening wider for people who have who didn't have the opportunity to tell these stories, is how uh, the questions and our understanding of um, these things is also going to be widened. Yeah, Do you know and what I, I, mean? I think what you're saying relates to what Barack was saying also about like professionalism and then you know making films in a way that necessarily isn't so cloaked and soaked in the language and of, of professionalism. Yeah. Um, I think we're almost out of time. I don't want to keep you guys for too long, but I, I did want to ask one question that came up when you were talking with Tando about um, pitching the film with Marianne. And pitching is, is a very interesting part of filmmaking. Mm. And I'm very curious about, um, and maybe Jonathan, you have some insight into this too, like when especially filmmakers of color or filmmakers from around the world who are from more so-called marginalized backgrounds are pitching these days, I wonder if there is a greater emphasis on the personal or are you discouraged from being too personal? Because there is like... I wonder if there's a trend of people from like people of color being asked to kind of mine their trauma a little bit in order to um, get funding and get into festivals. And, and if there is, if you ever feel like a little overwhelmed or cynical about that market. It's a very good question. It's a very good question. And I experienced this in two ways. So I feel like we were pitching around 2018, 2019, 
very much at the same time as the discourse around race, racism, we were learning the language, we were putting the words down and the lexicon has been created globally. And so, as somebody once put it to me, there was a crack in the mountain um, and it was waiting for people to go in. So I feel like I arrived at the right time because those things were re very real to me and I never felt like I was performing or mining myself so that I can get funding. However, at as it carried on and as it be, it did become trendy to get uh the the young you wanted the young african queer filmmaker telling their story and mining their pain i did start to notice how postured some funders are mm -hmm. towards that where they actually want you to perform not they want you to but i could see that they were getting excited when i would say things like well, there aren't many of us making films where I come from because of the money and because of the history. And I would see a glint in people's eyes um, in for people from the global north. Yeah. And I was just like, what is this that's happening here? Why, why are you so excited the more I talk about how in pain I am? And I stopped myself. I remember being like, I'm, I'm going to stop talking like this because I feel like there's like some weird... It's almost like a sadomasochistic thing where people feel like, yes, explain yourself to me. Tell me how much I've hurt you as the European. Tell me all the ways in which I've harmed you. And then I want to, and, and almost like it has to be more gratuitous and grotesque. And, and, and I remember going to one festival and they pitched this film and there was like blood and guts and dead black people's bodies and it won a prize. It was a pitch. And the and the filmmaker was a, a a white woman who'd gone into somewhere in West Africa and filmed some protest and and there were dead bodies on the floor and and it won a prize and I remember a lot of us who were black walking out and being like WTF what was that how does that thing win a prize do they not notice what's happening and so it, it was uh, the 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 a balance uh, I, I noticed that I needed to I became aware of this thing that you're talking about and how not to play into it while also not betraying my own real actual desire to mind myself and tell my story right. and how for a lot of filmmakers of color and a lot of people who've been historically excluded from these spaces, that is the starting point. Mm -hmm. It's how does this thing exist in me? How does it make sense in me? Do I want to make personal films that mine uh, my racialization for the rest of my life? No, uh, I, I don't want to be a black artist. I want to be an artist. Mm -hmm. I am an artist. And... Uh, of course I'm black, that, that, that's, you know, my, my language, everything I see and experience in the world is through that lens. But for me personally, the goal is to be an artist and, um, I, I navigate the, <laughs> the space. I definitely know what you're talking about and I've spoken about it before and I, so in the, in those moments I, I use the power of refusal very well, where I'm just like, I'm not going to do this thing that you want me to do. And I can see, and usually the computer malfunctions and we don't get the money. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. Burak, did you have anything to add there? Well, I think you you, exp you explained very well. And I don't know, like, I, I don't like pitching and I, it's so um, difficult for me. I never, like, I pitch lots of, like, many places, but every time I, when I went to stage and come back uh, to my seat... I, f I felt that I am kind of a scumming people, you know, it is, it is not good. I never thought, I actually enjoyed pitching. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, because I was like, I'm telling my truth. Whether the person reads it in one way, that's their reading of it. But I knew as long as I can go to bed every night, I know this thing that you're talking about. But I, I, I was like, 
because we were also asked. I was, and this is why we were like, me and Marion have to talk about the racial dynamics because we don't want to be as if it's Rainbow Nation, like we're all good. And no, there's this, you know. But I knew every after every pitch, I knew that if I if I wasn't telling the truth, it was gonna show, mm-hmm. you know. And so. Well, but there are, but the politics of pitching, yes, there's a, yeah, it's, a, it's like, I, there's a whole but conversation. Also, I feel very similar in the Q and A too. So, <laughs> like yeah. you're scamming people. Not scamming, but it is like I, they don't need me. Like the film is there. Why, mm. what, what I'm doing here? Interesting, Jonathan. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, really, you, you <laughs> raised the point of refusal, and again, that's you know one of the, one of the uh, the 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 things that we can see in this kind of filmmaking is not a refusal to perform, but a refusal to perform in the ways that are expected and, you know, to employ a certain opacity in terms of uh, not kowtowing to uh, what certain audiences might expect so that they can pat themselves on the back and nod sagely and say, yes, this is how we know it should be, Mm. right? But to complicate that, because the stories are complicated... It's not easy in certain spaces, uh, you know, when you have a project like that to be able to, you know, get it through. And um, uh, but, you know, you know, uh, uh, it's it's gratifying to see filmmakers trying and doing it and succeeding and looking to succeed on their own terms and doing so, because you know that if they decide not to, there will always be a filmmaker, not necessarily a white filmmaker there are there are filmmakers of color who are happy to play the game yes. and 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 make the kinds of films that you know um they know uh uh will get you know uh certain audiences and funders and whatever nodding sagely and going yes this is this is something. yeah they're there yeah they're there yeah. so you know constant vigilance you know uh is 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 key and you know continuing to fight to make uh the films that yeah that that i think really um yeah that are really uh saying something or working in ways that are you know um uh uh, intelligent yeah Mm. well i think on that note we can wrap this up thank you milisa tandu and burak for making those kinds of films and fighting the good fight and thank you all three of you for joining this conversation um and helping me wrap up my true false and in very satisfying fashion. Um, listeners, just keep your eyes out for Burak's and Melissa Tando's films. Burak's film, Forms of Forgetting. Melissa Tando's film is called Melissa Tando. <laughs> Talking about the personal. Um, and we will see you around. Thank you so much, Devika. This was wonderful. Thank Thanks, Thank Jonathan. You. The Film Comment podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com. 